0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ojo, Chuta Cruz, queda muerto Rodrigo.
1: Rodrigo otra vez, macho.
2: De Rodrigo. Hello everyone and welcome to La Liga Lowdown. It's our review of the Copa del Rey final, Real Madrid are champions for the 20th time. I'm your host, Matt Clark. delighted to be joined by Tom Harris. Tom, what a game of football it was. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, really good, thank you. It was an amazing game of football, actually. And uh, I was a bit worried going into the game that soon Asuna's hard work to get into the final. You know, they, they beat Real Betis, they beat Sevilla, yeah, they beat Athletic Club bit worried it was all gonna to come to nothing as Real Madrid kind of ground out an uninspiring two nil, three nil win and Osuna didn't really offer much, but it was the complete reverse. They very, very nearly snatched an equalizer at the end. They were a credit to La Liga, a credit to Hangobad Asate. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get talking about them a lot more over the course of this podcast. But a really, really entertaining game. And yeah, I'd recommend anybody who's not watched the highlights or, you know, can watch it back, definitely do because it was really, really exciting.
2: Yeah, it was pulsating. The atmosphere in, in the stadium at La Cartuja was was magnificent. Um, we saw a lot of Osasuna fans in Seville. There's that great aerial shot of just thousands of them along along the road there. Uh, and yeah, the atmosphere in the stadium matched that. They must have been, well, they were fearing the worst. Just, what was it, 93 seconds into the game when they were already 1-0 down. Vinny had an electric start. And um, yeah, were you fearing the worst for Osasuna at that stage?
1: Definitely, yeah. I mean, it could have started any any worse for, for Los Rodríguez and, and the fact that it was that ball from Vinicius and, you know, when that happens, you just kind of think, well, what can you do? You know, he's, he's absolutely torn two points apart and, and burst into the penalty area. And yeah, Real Madrid, after they scored that goal, I noticed they kept going long to Vinicius and kept trying to isolate him, you know, building up the play on the other side and picking out Vinicius and making sure he's 1v1 versus Moncayola. And that was a battle that really defined the first kind of 15 minutes of this game. And it was it was electrifying to watch because we know what Vinicius is like. We know he's obviously supremely talented, but he's also very good at riling up opposition players and and getting in the face of, you know, them and the referee and, and causing havoc. That's exactly what he did. Um, but yeah, really poor start from Osasuna. But you have to give them credit as to how they kind of battled their way back into the game, because after that first five minutes, it didn't look like they had a prayer.
2: Yeah, well, let's let's dig into that a little more then because, of course, we will talk about the rest of, of the action. But let's let's dig into Vinicius a little bit deeper there because there are lots of strands to it because we know he suffered a lot of racist abuse this season, which, of course, is intolerable. Um, but at the same time, we're seeing increasingly Vinny at his best and worst. And we saw that in 45 minutes in the first half, didn't we?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we saw it in 15 minutes. It's, it's, it's just incredible. Like, absolutely relentless from him. I mean... That's why he is so brilliant because he would just keep going and going and going. And and as we said, I mean, I think he nutmegged Moncayola once or twice in that kind of opening 20 minutes that his trademark step over both of the goals in the end. I mean, it was him from going past two players and bursting into the penalty area. He is a relentlessly brilliant footballer. But yeah, there's also, you know. He plays to the crowds, the crowd played to him, and, you know, it becomes a bit of a spectacle, and, and the whole game, really, in, the, in that first 20, 30 minutes was all about Vinicius Junior. And Yeah, from a neutral perspective, I think it's it's absolutely box office to, to watch that, um, but yeah, I think there are deeper issues at play here, particularly, as you said, with, you know, the racist chanting, and thankfully, we've not seen any incidents of that yesterday, um, but yeah, there's they, clearly an issue here, in Vinicius is going to keep riling up supporters, players, referees, and I think they like say he's 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 on a record number of yellow cards. I think he's on more yellow cards this season than Casemiro ever got in a single season at Real Madrid. So the disciplinary side of things could boil over at any moment, and we're going to need to keep a close eye on that. But from a purely footballing perspective, it was it was an absolute thrill to watch that battle on on the left hand side.
2: Mm. Yeah, I don't think his actions are winning him many friends. Certainly on the pitch, um, even Ancelotti uh, was seen after at the start of the second half, kind of walking him out from the dressing room to the pitch to make sure he didn't get any, any other altercations with with other players. And and yeah, from a football perspective, it, it could cost him or or the team in the future because if he you know gets gets a suspension for a big game or he he gets so worked up that he gets himself sent off in a game, that could really damage. Madrid, because he is obviously one of their most potent attacking weapons. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we'll need addressing in the future one way or the other. But, um, yeah, we'll park that for now and talk about the football because he was electric and Real Madrid just about deserved to be ahead at halftime. But uh, as you say, Osasuna had chances, Ezzadde, the Barcelona We We speculated he might have something to say about this game, but he had a golden chance to equalise before halftime. Uh, running onto to, well, it was, it was another Militao mistake, which we might touch on later, but he ran in on goal, dinked it over Courtois, was heading towards the goal, but didn't quite get enough on it, and it allowed Danny Carvajal to get back and clear it off the line. But uh, yeah, the start of the second half, Osasuna came out flying, didn't they?
1: Yeah, really impressive. And, you know, as I alluded to before, they were, you know, they they went down early on and they could have kind of retreated back into their shell and just went for damage limitation. But I think they were really clever in that they, they just upped the tempo a little bit. I mean, I noticed Moncayola was kind of trying to get to the ball first before Vinicius and they were anticipating that long pass. And that kind of shut down the supply line for a brief couple of, couple of minutes there. And that allowed them actually to get their foothold in the game because then... It was Ruben Benya who was attacking the space that Vinicius was leaving when when the ball wasn't reaching him. So there were a couple of instances in that first half, yeah, when when Budimir had a header, Aymar Orta had a header, and they all came down on that right hand side. And I think, yeah, it was kind of similar in the second half, That they, you know, they started off in the kind of four-four-two mid block, just kind of containing Real Madrid. But as the half went on, they got gradually more and more brave. Um, I think Jimmy Avila, when he came on, offers a bit of running up front. About Boudemir, obviously he offers a long ball, but Avila was was kind of ruffling feathers. And yeah, it's really really encouraging to see from Osasuna because, like you say, they're a team that are together. They're a team that you know fight till the very end. And it was it was great to see them not overawed by the occasion and and willing to give it a go. <laughs>
2: And they were back in the game just on the hour mark when a fabulous thunderous strike from Lucas Toro, the former Real Madrid Academy player. Uh, What a moment for the Ossetuna fans to to take away. Obviously, they've got the the pride, but the disappointment of losing the final, but they at least got the chance to celebrate that goal. And and what a goal it was.
1: It's incredible. I mean, you, you look at the slow motion replay and even in slow motion, the ball is spinning so, so quickly. And to be able to kind of get over that volley and control it in a way which you could just absolutely laser it into the bottom corner is, is unbelievable technique. And, yeah, to do that on the biggest stage is, is, yeah, it's a special moment. And obviously, unfortunately, in the end, it didn't mean anything in terms of the result. But that is something that those 20,000 Osasuna fans will will probably remember for a very, very long time.
2: Mm. And just like 18 years ago, the... The players that kind of watched that final then became inspired to to go for this one. That that strike will be played for Osasuna fans many, many times to get them you know, going for the next edition of the Cup in, in 5, 10, 15 years. However long it takes, they'll be looking at that moment as something to grab hold of. Uh, I was talking to um, our former colleague, Alex Butterton, uh last night, and he was saying that we were both saying that Lucas Toro reminds us a lot of Rodri. In, whether it's the shorts pulled right up and shirt tucked in, I don't know, but it just the, the way he kind of moves with the ball and, and his kind of general appearance, really. I, I just think he reminds me a lot of Rodri. Do you see that?
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I've thought that in the past and yesterday. Just, yeah, obviously there is the aesthetic element of it, but he's he's a very, very talented footballer. And obviously he was on the books at Real Madrid. You, you don't get to, to play for Real Madrid without being a, a very, very good footballer. But I think he, he deserves a lot of credit last night because... Obviously, the main kind of battle was going on the wings, but I think he marshaled the middle of the pitch pretty well. Um, you know, uh, Chuamini didn't have much of a look in, to be honest. Valverde was, you know, I think he was ultimately one of the key players to this game because while he wasn't his kind of, you know, swashbuckling self where he's got to absolutely burst forward and have a go, he was kind of the extra legs in midfield, but Lucas Toro kept them on the check largely and um yeah on the ball he's, he's very crucial to the way Osasuna build up and I think he deserved a lot of credit and yeah obviously it was it was his goal that got Osasuna back into the game and I think he probably deserved that
2: mm. well they were well in the game as you say and then they go about a Saturday, makes some attacking changes some bowl changes bringing on Jimmy Avila but just as he does that Madrid go and score the winner and it's it's a it was a kind of cruel blow the way it comes about because as a bit of a hacked clearance and then a deflection from a block and the way it falls to Rodrigo is it's quite fortuitous but at the same time it it comes from that Vinicius pace down the left drawing players towards him leaving that space for Rodrigo didn't it
1: yeah I mean interestingly the first goal he beat first he beat um Moncayola and then he beat Ruben Pena and then for this goal first he beat Ruben Pena and then he beat Moncayola to burst into the penalty area and and set up the goal in the end. And yeah, like you say, it's a shame that David Garcia was the one who kind of miscued his kick because, you know, he's the Osasuna captain. He was in the stands 18 years ago at the Vicente Calderon watching his boyhood side Osasuna in that last final that they reached. And it was, yeah, it was really his mistake. If he would have got a good connection on that, I don't think the ball would have ricocheted to, to Rodrigo, but these things happen. And like you say, you're under immense pressure. Vinicius, relentless and when you've got players like Rodrigo sniffing around in the area especially in cup competitions you you can't you can't
2: afford him that kind of space. Well, this is the thing isn't it because I think is it am I right in thinking he's got the one of the worst um, underperformance of xG in La Liga this season and yet last season and this when it comes to the big moments he is there. I mean he scored two goals in that relentless semi-final against City last season the Champions League. He scored two at Stamford Bridge this season to make sure that they got through the quarter final. And now he has a, cup, a Copa del Rey final brace. I mean, he's he's just uh, he's clutch, isn't he?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, because like you say, he's not been clinical in La Liga. I think he's got thirteen goals in his La Liga career, fifteen in the Champions League. And like you say, this Copa del Rey final brace on on Saturday night. It's it's. Very strange, um, but that's not to say that Rodrigo isn't playing really well in La Liga because he is. Um, he's he's very, very, you know, dynamic and creative and getting into good goal scoring opportunities. He's just, just missing that cutting edge. But I think if we focus just on his cup form, you've got to remember that he's still very, very young. He's not in his ideal position. I mean, he, obviously he's still up there, but he, he's not playing exactly where he'd like to play. And yeah, he's come up with so, so many big moments for Real Madrid already. I think that's really, you know, encouraging for Ancelotti and Real Madrid, and just Real Madrid in, in the next kind of five, ten years, because both him and Vinicius came out after the game and said they wanted to stay there forever. Um, they could
2: be kind of a Brazilian duo to lead them to to future success. Mm. It's uh, quite a, an exciting prospect for Madridistas and quite fearful for for their rivals. And we'll talk about kind of big picture stuff in part two and what this victory and will, will mean to to the club and and how they move forward but but just as a last bit on the game itself i want to talk about danny carvajal because i think rory tweeted it last night he's he's almost like a madridian microcosm isn't he because he's largely written off for most of the season he has very poor performances gives away you know goals chances but yet in the key moments of the biggest games when it really matters he's there um we spoke about the clearance off the line in the first half well right at the end you mentioned they nearly got the equalizer and they did because Without Carvajal, Hal, it probably would have been in the back of the net. That cross from the right. And what a challenge he puts in to, to get to that ball first. Yeah,
1: incredible. But and risky as well, because he came from a kind of side on diagonal behind angle. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was in front of the ball when it came in. He had to kind of reach around the player and, and stop the ball from, you know, leaving his foot going into the back of the net. It was amazing. And yeah, I like I like that comparison from Rory because, like you say, hal, he's not the most glamorous. Galactico shall we say he's not the player that you know Real Madrid fans you know look towards as a kind of you know defensive rock but he has been um much like Nacho I think he's you know he's a very underrated kind of defensive player for Real Madrid and yeah really sums up this team and you know you don't put all your money on them but then they always seem to find a way to do it and yeah it was a really really kind of fitting end I thought to the game that kind of got another moment of glory.
2: Indeed. Well, they finished 2-1 and that then, of course, Real Madrid won the Copa del Rey. We'll talk more about what this means for the club and uh, Ancelotti and Florentino Perez. And we'll salute Osasuna as well because they deserve more than a mention. Uh, and also we'll look ahead to the European games coming up. That's all to come in part two. Stay with us. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. We are discussing Real Madrid's Copa del Rey triumph, their 20th title in the Copa del Rey. It also was their 100th official title. Now, some some will count different things in different ways, but uh, a lot of the reputable sources give it the 100, this one, and uh, the first Spanish club to do so, pipping Barcelona by two. And, of course, it was a, a valued cup because they'd already beaten Atletico Madrid and Barcelona coming from behind in both of those ties, so a significant victory for them because, as we discussed in previews, Real Madrid are not necessarily the most copero of teams. They've only won two in the last thirty years, and have had some pretty embarrassing exits, even under the likes of of Zidane. So, what do you think? How important do you think this this Copa del Rey triumph is for the club?
1: Yeah, I think in the context of this season, it, it's really big because, let's say, for example, they don't win the Champions League. Uh, and they hadn't won this final and Barcelona won La Liga that is a pretty awful trophy-less season for Real Madrid so it's good that they got in and and won this competition and made the most of the fact that with all due respect to Asasuna they weren't playing one of their main rivals in the final they did the hard work leading up to it and obviously they they were in for a, a fight in the final but they were the stronger team on paper and they should be winning this game so Fair play to Real Madrid in that respect. Um, but yeah, I think it was really interesting in terms of where this leaves Carlo Ancelotti. You know, he's, as we've seen on, on social media, he's won everything now with Real Madrid in the space of 425 days, I believe. He's won all trophies that he could possibly win for the club. Obviously won that Champions League so spectacularly last season. And, you know, much of the build-up was Ancelotti saying, yeah, this could be my last final at Real Madrid. Um and yeah, it's really, really interesting to see where he goes from here because he's done everything. Does he? Does he need to stay on? Do Real Madrid want him to stay on? Do they? Have a, do they see this as kind of the end of an era and bringing in a new, exciting, you know, young manager to, to oversee this kind of uh, this kind of movement to this younger side? With you know, Casemiro's obviously already gone. Modric on his way out too. In terms of age, really, really interesting as a kind of is this a turning point for Real Madrid? Is this the last trophy of? Of that kind of era that has seen them dominate the last 10 years
2: yeah well i know that we're counting but Madridistas, if we are counting that would be three trophies for real madrid this season when, when you factor in the uefa super cup and the club world cup of course we just we can debate how significant those trophies are compared to the likes of la liga but it would be three two in real madrid's favor this season and they managed to avenge their super cup defeat um, against Barça by as we say thrashing them at the can now in the semi-final of this copper um, yeah, we, we speak about all of these trophies that they've won in the last kind of year and a bit. Barça fans will say, "Yeah, it's not the sex dead day. It's not six in the calendar year. It's not it's not the triple. Uh, not, not going to be a treble." So you know, pipe down, they might say. But at the same time, yeah, I think it's worth reiterating just how much of a a success this is. Yes, we know Barça are, are rebuilding from kind of the chaos of the post-Messi era. Um, and Xavi obviously is, is building a project and they will win La Liga this season. But it's, I think, yeah, it is worth giving value to, to what Real Madrid have done. And Anshot, said as much. He said, I'm happy, but I'm very tired. <laughs> Uh, we will realise what we've achieved in time. Um, and yeah, it's it's strange because it, it, had he lost this final, it's almost like that was it. There was almost no way of, of coming back. But yet, when we talk about his future, I, personally, I'm thinking, is there anyone better that can lead this club through a transition? Because he already knows all the young players there. They've already won everything under him. Um, and if they, if they do bring in Jude Bellingham, they've pretty much rejuvenated the entire midfield in almost a seamless transition and who better than kind of the grandfather of football to, to lead them on that process.
1: Yeah. I couldn't put it better myself. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. I mean, like you say, I think a lot of the, you know, focus on yesterday was on Osasuna and if they could kind of pull off the upset and I think that kind of took away from the fact that, you know, Real Madrid winning this tournament was important and it was, you know, a trophy that, as you said, they've only won twice in 30 years, which is amazing. The last time they won it was at Mestalla when when Gareth Bale was was tearing down the uh, tearing down the wing. Also Ancelotti. Yeah. Also Ancelotti, which is which is unbelievable. I mean, it was his first trophy for for Real Madrid and his first spell, and you know potentially his last, unless they go on and win win the Champions League. Yeah, it's there's a lot to think about during the summer for Real Madrid. Um, you know, I think they'd like Ancelotti to stay, but will he? You know, has has he got? As you said, he he said he was tired at the end of the season. Does he want a change of pace? Does he think he's he's done everything he can do with his side or will, will he be convinced that, yeah, as you say, he is the man to, to lead this team through the transitions?
2: Well, he's been saying this season that if it was up to him, he'd stay forever. And of course, I think that's slightly tongue-in-cheek because he knows the game. He knows that he won't be there indefinitely. But um, he, he has kind of played it down as well. He said, you know, I'm, I'm calm. I'm not playing for my life. It's not on the line. It's just the final and then the semi-final. You know, it's just football ultimately. And he's, he's seen it all in football and, and lived it all. But I just think um, I, I think it might be even be more who Madrid could get to replace him because we know that Nagelsmann is on the market and the, the Tottenham have been linked quite strongly with him, although that seemed to have gone a bit cold. Um, Chelsea look very close to Pochettino, who has been previously linked a lot with Real Madrid. There's always a Zidane question again. Um, but then you look and you think, well, who, who could feasibly come into that club and, and kind of kick on from what well, has been a successful two seasons. Yeah,
1: I mean, like you say, I, I think Angelotti is, is a sensible choice. Um, if you want somebody to oversee a transition, he is the man to do it. But I think maybe there is a chance that Real Madrid kind of get led astray by the bright lights of Julian Nagelsmann and, you know, the kind of excitement that he brings as a young coach and seeing what he's done with Bayern Munich and, uh, you know, obviously he was very unfortunate to be to be sacked in the end. It, it really depends, I think, how Real Madrid see this rebuild. Whether they want it to be, you know, a kind of young Bellingham, Schuamini Camavinga inspired rebuild with a young manager at the helm, or whether they need that calm head to to see them through what could potentially be a difficult time. Because as you say, Barcelona are rebuilding, Atletico Madrid look very very strong. Admittedly, only in the kind of last couple of months, but they carry on on their upward trajectory. It's not going to be easy in La Liga as well. So, yeah, lots to think about, but. Yeah, I think you know Ancelotti deserves his flowers because this is another unbelievable achievement I think that's his 25th major trophy now of of an amazing career he's obviously won every top 5 leagues league um won the Champions League a record number of times it's it's another really really amazing achievement for him.
2: Indeed. I mean, I think just the last thing on Ancelotti I think there's no doubt they've underperformed in the league and almost saw that with Barcelona's relentless pace, they sort of thought, okay, let's just focus on the other competitions, and they will be vindicated in that, should they win the Champions League, but that's a massive, massive if. Um, but again, it's it's always about the relative success of themselves and Barcelona, because had Barcelona not won the league, I don't think there'd be a, as many questions on Ancelotti as, as there have been. So, there is that, but uh, yeah, that's his 10th trophy for Real Madrid as coach, um, his own decima after he delivered La décima, in 2014. Forever in, in Real Madrid's history, whatever happens. Um Antonio Pérez, too. He equals Santiago Bernadéu as uh, the president with the most official trophies, 32 each. That's a, another significant milestone for the president that everyone everyone knows around the world. Probably the most famous uh, club owner or president in in football. And and Karim Benzema as well. He had quite a quiet night, it's fair to say, but he wins his 25th trophy with Real Madrid, which equals... Marcelo as the uh, the highest ever for the club. So a really remarkable set of achievements for the club and for the players and presidents and coaches. And um, yeah, I think it, it's worth putting that into context again, isn't it? Because, you know, when Cristiano Ronaldo left the club, Benzema was seen as kind of dispensable too. And in the last five, six years, he's really become the leader of this team. Yeah, I think once they lose
1: Benzema, they'll do, I mean they already realise how important he is, but it will become even more apparent because they say there are going to be times when the likes of Vinicius and Rodrigo have off days just because of the nature of the players that they are. They're, they're not clinical finishers. They're not, I mean, they are, but they're not. That's not their only job. They've got other things to do. Um, and, you know, and they're not going to be kind of waiting in the area as Canning Benzema does and making those movements to create space for other people. Um, you know, so that that is, you know, that will bring problems of its own. Um, but yeah, um, as you said, I mean, Benzema had that chance in the first half where he kind of the ball fell to him and he went for that bottom left corner finish and Herrera kind of seemed to read him and and get down before Benzema could actually, you know, put the ball into the bottom corner. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. It's, there's a lot of players coming towards the end of their time, kind of at Real Madrid, it seems, there's a lot of players just beginning. And yeah, with a manager, with a, a certain, you know, a future so uncertain, it's it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see see where this goes. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, let's let's give some credit to Osasuna sooner then. we saw the the remarkable scenes at full time. When, if anything, you'd have thought if you just switched the TV on, you would have thought they'd won it. The reaction of their players and fans. Saluting uh, the travelling support and Diego Barasate in tears. He said he broke down seeing the fans because, as I say, he he felt it at the 70-minute mark that his side could go on and win it. Um, a really a really proud night for Osasuna despite defeat. Um, they can be truly proud of of what they've achieved this season. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean,
1: obviously, the the very special thing about this Osasuna side. I think Aymar Oroth was was saying it a couple of weeks ago in an interview. Is that he knows everybody in, in this team and he has done for a good couple of years. There's, there's players who he's grown up with, there's players who, you know, Osasuna have this great thing that the, the first team are always involved in kind of academy training sessions and everybody knows each other and everybody builds up and, you know, goes through this process together. And I think that was very evident, There has been very evident throughout the season that this side are very together and and very, you know, committed to, to the Osasuna cause. And yeah like you say, a massive, massive night for them. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way they wanted it to, but they have to now kind of steady the ship again, I think, and and get over the emotion of tonight because they've still got things to do in La Liga. You know, with, with Real Madrid winning the Copa, seventh place is now a Europa League conference place, a UEFA <laughs> conference league place. Um and they're, they're in with a shout, they're only three points off the pace and with the likes of Girona and Rayo Vallecano and Athletic Club, I believe Osasuna play Athletic Club between now and the end of the season, there's definitely an opportunity for them to get into Europe and after so many years out of it, that would be, you know, a cup final and a European qualification place in La Liga would probably
2: be one of the best
1: seasons in, in their recent history.
2: Mm. Yeah, a remarkable campaign from Osasuna. they more than played their part in a, a, a glittering final, uh, which of course Real Madrid... One. Let's look ahead then to the European games coming up this week because we've only got two, but there are massive two. Uh, Champions League semi-final at the Santiago Bernabéu. First leg, Real Madrid against Manchester City, and then Thursday, Sevilla head to Turin, a stadium they know well because they won a the Europa League there already. They take on Juventus. But let's first talk about City Real Madrid because you're very well placed to preview this game, Tom. If you're Pep Guardiola, what are you most worried about?
1: Vinicius Junior, there's, there's, there's no no other player really that is going to strike such fear into City the way they're playing at the moment. Obviously, Cadim Benzema can pop up with those moments and Rodrigo, as you said, in the Champions League. But Vinicius is the kind of player who can hurt you from absolutely any situation. Um, and yeah, I'm sure Pep Guardiola will be looking at ways to nullify his threat. I mean, I, I imagine they're going to kind of play... The the, the formation that they have been doing in the last couple of weeks where kanji or Stones is kind of like a wide centre-back and Rodri or Gundogan is also in there. And Bernardo Silva probably be playing on on Vinicius' side just to add a bit more kind of, you know, that infectious energy that he has just to make sure that he doesn't get away. Because as we were saying in this Osasuna game, you know, Moncayola was exposed a few times. You know, even when Ruben, Ruben Peña was over there, it wasn't enough. So I think Guardiola will be really focusing on getting a stronger defender onto Vinicius. But at the same time, as we were saying before, Osasuna got in behind Vinicius. And I think that's something that, that City will be looking to target as well. Because if Vinicius has caught up the pitch, that is an area of field that obviously City, with their incredible attacking capabilities, will also be able to get in behind and exploit.
2: Mm. Are there any other areas that City you think will, will target? I'm, I'm thinking about the form of Militao. He's kind of made errors in, what, three games in a row now, do you think? I think Haaland will be licking his lips to that
1: prospect. 100%. I mean, I remember the last time, um, not the last time, two two occasions ago when Real Madrid came to the Etihad and it was Rafael Varane who had a bit of a nightmare under pressure from Gabriel Jesus. And it seemed that once he made his first mistake, City pounced on that. I think this will be a similar occasion. And we saw with City a couple of weeks ago when they played Arsenal and, you know, Haaland was on Rob Holding from minute one. Um, you know, we've kind of played a four-four two that day. I don't think it'll be like that against Real Madrid, although although we don't know. But that kind of you know, 1v1 element of of isolating Haaland against Ed Emilitao in his current form could also be yeah, another another area. But we have to say these are these are fantastic players, they're gonna have off days, they're gonna have on days, and you know, you can't I don't think you can rely solely on Ed Emilitao having a bad game. But with the likes of De Bruyne kind of in those half spaces and Erling Haaland attacking, you know centre-backs I think it's it's got all the makings to be a, another classic and Real Madrid in the Champions League they can hold on for dear life um I'm expecting them to do the same but we're, we're, yeah but we'll see how it goes but I think you know you've got to say City are just like favourites I think this time.
2: Mm, it's almost loathe to ask you to predict anything but uh I think this season it could be significant having the the venues flipped so last season of course Madrid had second legs at the Bernabeu every round. And that obviously paved into their advantage with the comebacks. This time they have to get a positive result to take back to, to Manchester, don't they?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that is a big psychological thing because I mean, the two-time City and Real Madrid have played in the semi-finals. It's been the second leg at the Bernabeu where where the game has been won. Um, yeah, that's massive for City. And you look at their Champions League form. I'm pretty sure they're on a kind of thirty-plus game winning run in the Champions or an unbeaten run in the Champions League. So. Real Madrid are going to have to get a result I think in the first leg because City are going to come out
2: all guns blazing in the
1: second mm.
2: well let's have a quick word on Juve Sevilla then Juve ahead of their game on Sunday night they have only won two of their last nine whereas Sevilla of course in the complete reverse they are revitalizing them and De only one defeat since he came in second leg of Sancho pituan again that could be massive couldn't it it was against United yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think Sevilla
1: in those first games on the Mendeliba, if you look at the underlying numbers, they were taking their chances at a you know, overly unsustainable rate. Whether that will come back to to bite them in, in a game of such high quality, you know, you've entered likes of Vlaovic and Chiesa, who who can really, really hurt you. Um, but yeah, Sevilla have been fantastic on the Mendeliba. This four four two kind of four five one just high intensity press has has worked wonders and If they can beat Man United the way they did, you know, by three goals to nil in the end, they they can definitely cause Juventus some problems as well. Because, like you say, they're not in the best form themselves.
2: Mm. Should be an intriguing week in European football as always. We'll be across it at La Liga Lowdown and subscribe to our Substack LLLonline.substack.com for analysis and previews, reviews all week. Tom, you've got a fantastic piece on there already on the Copa del Rey final, so make sure you check that out, listeners. Uh, but yeah, that, uh, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back with a review of those European matches and a preview for match day 34 in La Liga, which could see Barcelona win the title. So that should be a fantastic weekend ahead. But from all of us here, thank you very much for your insights and allow us to Tom as always. Thank you very
1: much, Matt. Very much. Looking forward to the climax of La Liga now. There's plenty of things still to be sorted out.
2: Oh, there really is. We'll, we'll be here to tell you all about it. Thanks again, listeners. Adios.